Welcome to this endo life. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an endo warrior, an endo health coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Please consult your medical practitioner before making any nutritional changes or bringing in any supplements. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's <laughs> the patch in a bath bomb um so you know if you're on your period or if you're in pain you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them I don't know you could have multiple if you want um and then yeah get out the bath maybe rub in some cbd balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU, which is buonline.co.uk, And you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. So before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to give a shout out to the lovely girls at Semaine. They are two sisters with endometriosis. They've been on the show before and they founded Semaine, which is a supplement company for people with periods to originally their first supplement was to aid with PMS and period pain. And I know that it is a lifesaver for so many people with endometriosis and painful periods. I absolutely love that supplement. It's really helped me when I've had to kind of follow protocols for SIBO or, you know, I've had a stressful time and I've been worried about my period. I've been able to avoid a fare with that supplement and they've always been so kind and um, kindly sent me sent me them when I when I've needed them. And now they've come out with a new supplement called the Daily, and it is a hormone balancing supplement, which is designed to help with healthy skin, stable mood, fewer cravings in your luteal phase, blood sugar balance. And they recently gifted it to me. Honestly, I said this to my client the other day. My blood sugar levels have never felt so stable as they did when I was taking that day, daily supplement. As you guys know, I I work very hard to stabilize my blood sugar levels because that will keep inflammation down and it also ensures that you have healthy balanced hormones. It's, it's really, really key. And I have a history of having really unstable blood sugar. Originally growing up, it was because of my eating disorder. But then in later years, it was much more down to firstly following a vegan diet when I didn't understand how to build my plate, a healthy blood sugar balancing plate. And secondly, because of my microbiome and my microbiome because of SIBO is built to actually extract more glucose from my food and cause blood sugar instability. This is actually a really key piece of blood sugar. If your blood sugar is resisting all of the strategies you're trying, that is a massive clue that your microbiome is affecting the way that your blood sugar is is being controlled in your body. So we need to work on that, work on your gut. And mine has improved mine has improved massively, but I still react much more um erratically than someone else would to blood sugar fluctuations. And 
I couldn't believe the difference. It was like I had a whole month of like stable blood sugar. It was incredible. And as a result, I had much more of a healthier cycle. I felt a lot more satisfied. I had less food cravings. I just felt a lot more stable in energy. So I'm a really big fan of this. And as I said, blood sugar is a huge piece to managing your hormones, hence why blood sugar is such a big part of their their supplement. So the girls have kindly given me a discount code for you guys. It will get you 20% off your first um, order, whether that's the daily or the PMS and Pira support capsules. And the code is ENDOLIFE, one word, all caps. So E-N-D-O-L-I-F-E. And that code is valid for the next six months, I believe. So you can use it at any time. Um, So let me know how you get on with them. I'd love to hear if you find them as amazing as I did. And I hope that they bring you a happier and healthier cycle and period. Hi, everyone. So before we start today's episode, I do just want to give a trigger warning. We are talking about diet culture in this episode And we're also kind of talking about disordered eating at times. The conversation is more based around diet culture and how it can influence our decisions uh, with food. But there are some references to eating disorders. So if you feel that this could be a triggering conversation for you, please just do what feels best and feel free to skip this episode. The other thing is um, I am recording this episode um, with three very broken ribs and a small lung puncture. Um, I fell in a kind of shower over bath, um, not last Monday, the Monday before. Um, and I quite severely broke my ribs. Um, and so I am struggling. Um, I'm to talk, uh, especially after I've just done an, a podcast interview just now, and now I'm quite out of breath. Um, so from next week onwards, I'm not quite sure what the pod- podcast is going to look like. Um, so I had scheduled quite a number of episodes, which you will have been fingers crossed enjoying. Um, but the idea was I would have been recording more in the past two weeks, but I've been in quite a significant amount of pain um, and with very limited mobility and, um, like I said, quite out of breath and struggling to talk. So um, I am really taking things week by week um, because the recovery is is six weeks with just the normal breaks, with the normal fractures, but I've got um, one misaligned rib and uh, two of the ribs are like completely in two, um, but one of them is misaligned. So they're not like, um, the rib is like below, it's <laughs> below the other half of the rib. Um, so those ones can take longer. So I don't know what this healing is going to look like. Um, I am hoping to release episodes. I'm thinking maybe I'll do some mini ones, but I just kind of wanted to give you the heads up that it might be a little bit sporadic. I I really don't know. So I just don't want to make any promises um, and wanted to let you guys know what's going on. Okay, so as I have alluded to, this episode is about diet culture. And as many of you know, I've personally lived through eating disorder. So have many of my clients. Um, and I imagine that many of you have been influenced by diet culture as well. So when we have to make so many nutritional choices with endo management, I thought that this would be a good episode and a helpful episode to support us to make choices from a healthy place rather than subconsciously being influenced by the pressures of society. So today's episode is with Brandy Homerding, and she is an expert in holistic nutrition and the owner of Bee Collective Wellness, where she provides one-to-one nutrition coaching with an emphasis on gut and hormone health. She graduated from the Nutrition Therapy Institute in Denver, Colorado in 2019, and has since completed numerous certifications related to gut and hormone health, including Nicole Jardim's certification, which is also where I trained after I trained with Jessica Drummond. Um, So that's how we met. 
As a self-proclaimed diet culture dropout, she provides women administrators with sustainable, holistic nutrition practices to overcome bloating, fatigue, PMS, and irregular menstrual cycles so that they can feel more in tune with their bodies and really just live an energetic life. So in today's episode, we're discussing Brand's personal experience with diet culture, what diet culture is and how to know whether you're being influenced by it, the impact of diet culture on menstrual and hormonal health, what healthy eating is versus diet culture, and how to avoid falling into diet culture influenced behaviors when we have to avoid certain foods for health or chronic conditions. And finally, how to positively change our relationship to food. I found this episode really, really insightful and helpful and practical. Um, and I hope you do too. I will say that um, I feel like just because when you're having a conversation and you're going back and forth and it's just off the cuff, you're not always as careful with your words as you may be when, for example, all of my solo episodes, I spent ages, like days writing them out. Um, and I feel like it came across like I was bashing plant, plant-based diets and I'm not, you know, I love them. Um, but I, I was just trying to point out that if you're not thoughtful or mindful with plant-based diets, then you can, um, you know, there can be, you can set up, set yourself up for nutritional deficiencies and blood sugar balance, uh, imbalances, but there are so many wonderful benefits as well, um, of a plant-focused diet. So I just wanted to make that clear. If you're like, ah, oh, it sounds like she's bashing. I'm not, um, I haven't, it's not like I'm suddenly eating meat and I now hate vegan diets. I don't at all. Um, I, you know, plants should always be the star of the show. All of the research shows that. Um, so I just wanted to, I just wanted to put that out there in case it sounded like it. Anyway, um, I really hope you find this episode helpful. If you are struggling with changing, you know, making changes to your diet or you're working through a protocol and you're starting to have a lot of fear-based thinking or obsessive thoughts around food, I think this is going to be a really supportive episode. So here's Brandy. Brandy, welcome so much to the show. I feel like we've been trying to get this to happen for a while, so I'm really pleased you're here today. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to share more today. So let's start with yourself and, and your story, because I feel like every guest always has a story as to why they're doing what they're doing in the world. So, you know, if anyone isn't familiar with your work, please introduce yourself and, you know, what, what brought you here today? Yeah. Hi, my name is Brandy. I am a certified nutrition therapy practitioner and my goal is to provide sustainable, holistic nutrition support for women who are suffering from bloating, fatigue, PMS, irregular periods, so that they can become more in tune with their bodies and reduce their symptoms so that they can really live a vibrant and energetic life. Um, so I got into this work uh, back in 2017 is when I first went to school to become a nutrition certified nutrition therapy practitioner. Um, and prior to that, I actually worked in healthcare. I was an interventional radiology tech. I, oh, wow. um, yeah, I, I worked in that field for a total of 14 years before I completely stepped away from that. Um, and you know what I really learned with that journey, I, I have so much to be grateful for with having that experience of working in healthcare. And I actually worked in healthcare for longer than that because I did um, regular x-ray tech um, prior to becoming an interventional radiology tech. And it really opened my eyes a lot to how much our diet and environment and lifestyle can affect our health. So initially when I got into um, interventional radiology as a tech, um, I first worked at a children's hospital and that so much, those kiddos aren't so much influenced by diet, lifestyle and um, environment as much as we then see like in adults. And when I went over into the adult world, I saw this and I was just like, okay, like I was a sponge. I learned as much as I could. And then towards the end of that career, I was like, wow how much of this could be supported with the mm -hmm. amazing procedures that we're doing if we just 
tweaked a little bit of diet and lifestyle, I really noticed myself too, how much my diet was impacting my health um, overall. I grew up in the Midwest in the United States, and there was not a whole lot of emphasis placed on proper nutrition for me growing up. I mean, I, I don't think I had an avocado until I was in my 20s. I don't oh my gosh, my dad out. doesn't know what an avocado is. Like, we made right? him a salad like a couple of months ago, and he was like, What's this? He doesn't even know what an aubergine is. I mean, I guess you guys call it eggplant. And I'm like, Oh, wow. I mean, yeah, my diet was terrible when I was a kid as well because my parents mm-hmm. just didn't. It was the 90s, you know. Right, right, exactly. And that, you know, I had that whole influence too. I remember my mom eating grapefruit with like sweet and low on it. Yes. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. That diet, and, that diet food, right? Yeah. And so, you know, in college is when I really had my first opportunity to like feed myself, really. Right. I mean, I did in high school too. I mean, but then looking back to, I worked at a pizza place and like, we could eat whatever we want. We didn't have to pay for our food at that pizza place. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, so, you know, when I was in college, I was like, Oh, wow. You know, we can eat whatever we want. And my first year in college, it was cafeteria food. And then I really noticed, um, my weight is changing a little bit here. You know what they always talk about the freshman 15, So that is when I first started like movement, adding movement into my world, but I didn't really change the way I was eating. And then I would say that I was really influenced a lot by the low calorie, low fat fad that went around when I was like in college. And uh, I, I, I lived off of processed foods. It was like the lean pockets and the 100 calorie pack like cookies and the baked mm. lays and the low fat yogurt and like all of this kind of process and low um nutrient dense foods and um yeah and then so as i started to really build my my awareness around that more in my like late 20s and really realize that gosh i feel really different when i feel my body differently I really started to shift my perspective around food and nutrition and how powerful it can be. And so bringing it back to like my career before with healthcare, I really was like, I want to be more on the preventative side of healthcare and how can I do that? And I learned about nutrition therapy and I'm like, oh, this is exactly what I should be doing and kind of hit the ground running with that and graduated in 2019 and have continued to learn and take courses to just further expand my knowledge on the areas I'm really passionate about, which are particularly hormone health and digestive health. So this is really fascinating because, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, because obviously I'm not a medical doctor, um, but so you were doing x-rays, right? Is that what you, Mm -hmm. okay. So um, this is a complete tangent from what we're talking about, Um, but I I find this really interesting because I broke when I was 17, I broke um loads of bones. So I broke my um sacrum, my pubic gray mm. my left, my left hip, uh somewhere on my right side of my pelvis, um, and my ribs um in a car accident. And mm-hmm. Um, I was in hospital for several weeks. Um, and the first, I think three or four weeks, I couldn't, I was on total bed rest. I couldn't, I couldn't get up and they had to like, get me to walk again and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And I was just on like a crazy mix of painkillers and, um, and anti-sickness tablets and, you know, hospital food, which they were very, very, you know, very happy to have me leave and avoid because I felt so sick from all my pain medication. So I barely ate. Um, I think, mm-hmm. you know, I remember there being a lot of mashed potato, um, highly boiled mm-hmm. peas and rice krispies um, mm-hmm. and biscuits coming around. There was always like digestives coming around and, um, you know, occasionally people would bring me a bunch of grapes. So there was a lot of blood sugar spiking going on. Not, yeah. not one person not one person said, you know, we need to make sure that 
you're eating the right foods for like collagen synthesis and Mm -hmm. you know bone development all of the different things that are going to be happening as your bone is healing and Mm -hmm. um I actually didn't heal very well in the end um and I you know I'd previously well I was still in the middle of an eating disorder that I'd had I had for about 11 years in in total and I've, I've broken quite a lot of bones over the years even since then but this as we're recording <laughs> and when this is mm-hmm. released I've I've had quite um a bad some bad breaks in my ribs and I'm just doing it completely differently and I almost feel well I'm certainly not grateful for breaking my ribs but I'm kind of grateful for quite like it's quite a significant break and I'm able to treat my body so differently than I did before and eat all of the right things yeah. I think back on my 17 year old self and I'm just like oh my god I just want to like steal you away from everyone and be like how the hell did my body heal when all it was getting fed was like morphine and like laughing gas and anti-sickness medication it's insane yeah it it, our bodies are so powerful and so resilient so it's it's able it's able to overcome all these things especially when we're younger Right. But then as we get older, we start to really feel that impact of maybe not having the best dietary choices previously, maybe because we didn't know. Yeah. Um, Maybe because of the information that we were receiving was not quite accurate or correct. And so we can only go off of what we know and not beat ourselves up for the things that we did in our past. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't really beat myself up for it because I was 17 but I'm more like I wish there had been someone I you know I guess the doctor's not necessarily the person who's going to talk to you about nutrition but there needs to be someone on these medical teams who's like yeah we need to get you eating like some extra Mm -hmm. calcium and some amino acids and vitamin d and vitamin k and you know Mm -hmm. and just I wish that was part of the plan um so I can imagine how frustrating and you know and preventative medicine as well, but I can just imagine how frustrating that was for you. Yeah. I mean, and the, one of the one that stands out to me the most is when people have their gallbladder removed and they're not giving any support or like dietary recommendations mm-hmm. or like supplements to really support that really essential little organ being removed from your body and how you process and your foods and your fats. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. I mean, that's my boyfriend's mom she she collapsed and they took her gallbladder out immediately because Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what the complications were but um they just told her to eat low fat and that's it (laughs) and it's like what about fat soluble vitamins (laughs) right exactly (laughs) um but yeah I I totally agree with you on that so um obviously today we're going to kind of be deep diving into to diet culture and how that's really influencing you know, hormonal health and menstrual health, but let's kind of start with the basics. What would you say diet culture is and how would we know that we were being influenced by diet culture or that our choices that, you know, the foods we were eating were being influenced by diet culture? Because like you said, like, I don't know if, especially if you grew up in the nineties, it was not really a it wasn't just diet culture, but it was what we were being taught was healthy. We were, it was, we were Mm -hmm. taught to eat low fat and low calorie. So it can be hard to unlearn those things. Yeah. Yeah. So with diet culture, it's really this collective belief that you should eat in a certain way or move your body in a certain way in order to change the appearance of your body. And really the emphasis is usually placed on a smaller, more sculpted body and that those bodies are worthier than others that are not. So diet culture is kind of this, I don't know, like this blanket kind of underlying vibe of like, oh, I have to eat a certain way. I have to follow these rules in order to achieve this result. And usually these rules can be a little bit, I guess you could say maybe extreme. Um, And it's having you really kind of do these big shifts, right? Like we're either really cutting a lot of calories or we're really limiting the window in which we're eating or we're um, 
eliminating total food groups or we're um, restricting a certain food group. And it's, there's all these rules around like, hey, if you do this, you will achieve this result. That's kind of the big promise that diet culture gives us. Do this action or remove this action and you will get this result. And so then we begin to shift our belief that there's tricks or specific ways in which we can really lose weight, gain muscles and transform our body And we start to create these stories then based off of that belief and that we have to follow these rules. And it's almost like if I don't follow these rules, then I won't be able to achieve this result. So it creates, let's say like you, you do quote unquote, break a rule. You have a quote unquote cheat day. That's Mm -hmm. one of my, my least favorite terms out there, cheat day. Um, Or I'm going to have, I'm going to cheat today. I'm going to have a treat today. Um, so it almost creates the sense of failure if you don't follow the rules and that it can create this sense of like poor body image because you didn't follow the rule. And so now that you follow the rule, then you can't follow through in anything. And it like has this whole pervasive snowball effect almost. But then also what can happen too is let's say that your body does have a transformation when you follow these rules. Now it's creating this whole other story that this is the only way that I can achieve a transformation right, is by yeah. being really strict and following really rigid guidelines. And it gets to the point though, too, where all of a sudden that may not work anymore. So it really creates this sense of distrust between you and your body. So you no longer trust the, those messages and the signals that your, your body is giving you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, are there any kind of, you, you've really alluded to a lot of them, but are there any kind of hints that you might be, you might, you, you might not, you might be subconsciously changing mm-hmm. what you're doing uh, in order yeah. to kind of lose weight or, or achieve a certain size that you, you know, is, is a outside pressure from society. You think you should look a certain way. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things is like, what words are we using? You know, as I mentioned before, like cheat day or treat myself or I deserve this because of X, Y, Z. And we create like these justifications around our actions or even um, like, uh, oh, saying like good and bad. Yeah. This was big when I was working at the hospital. This was big, big, big. Because there was a lot of different vendors would bring in different things or somebody would make a panda brownies to bring into work or a candy dish would show up and you would hear people say oh I'm being good today I'm not going to have any of that got it yeah why why are we now associating that if I'm good if I don't eat the brownie and I'm bad if I eat the brownie or I'm, I'm good if I eat a salad and not whatever the pizza that was brought in or whatever like it creates, then people take on that identification too of like, I'm good, I'm bad because they associate this food as good and bad. So words are like one of the biggest things. What are the words that we're using? And are we using those words to justify our actions as well? Like, um, let's say like I had a really hard workout and so now I deserve this cupcake. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What if I just want a cupcake? I want a cupcake and I'm going to eat a cupcake, right? Yeah. Um, so taking away around these justifications and that's all our ego stepping in and saying like, Hey, this is maybe challenging what you think you should be doing. And so it's going to step in and like, give you these justifications and these reasons why you are doing the action. When really we have to like kind of pull back and step back and be like, how am I associating myself with these words? 
Yeah, that's really helpful, actually. I didn't really, I mean, it's, I, I also hear bad and good a lot as well. But um, mm-hmm. so some of the other terms that you you mentioned, I think they're, they're just really helpful pointers and they have become, I think, very ingrained in, in our language as well. So we won't always notice that mm-hmm. we're using that, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I would say too, you know, like if you have to like to recognize if you're in getting wrapped up in it, like, are there things that you're doing? Like, are you tracking to make sure that you're hitting your macros or you're hitting your calories for the day? And is that becoming disruptive to your everyday life? Is mm-hmm. it, you know, like there's so many times that you'll hear people who are tracking macros be like, Oh, I can have that if it fits my macros. Right. Right. Yeah. So then they're like, you know, on their phone, if I eat this avocado on the salad, how is that going to affect my macros for the day? Or if it fits my calories? I mean, like, so, I mean, you can eat like a 2000 calorie diet of processed food. That's what I was doing. I was eating these lean pockets and these baked lays and this low fat yogurt. And I wasn't really necessarily at that point tracking any specific calories, Mm -hmm. but you can make anything fit your caloric intake for the day. It doesn't mean that it's necessarily the healthiest options. And then also like there was a time where I was utilizing um, a tracker called my fitness pal. And that also was like, Oh, here's, you have, I think I was smart enough to be like 1200 calories is not enough calories for me, but it was like around the 1400, 1600 calorie range. And I would go to the gym and I'd work out to get myself down to low enough to where, Oh, now I can have ice cream tonight. Right. But that wasn't, you know, like it's, that's not necessarily a healthy way relationship with food either or, or movement. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And so when we are being influenced by diet culture, what impact can that actually have on hormonal and, and menstrual health? Because that, to me, there seems to be quite a number of ways that it could be influencing it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we could talk all day about <laughs> just that specifically, but you know, we have to remember that the food that we're eating is sending messages to our body. And that's how we're able to create new hormones if we're looking at specifically hormones is from the foods that we're eating. It's like carrying messages to our body breaks down into these little messages to be like, here you go. Here's the information that you need so that you can create hormones. So if we're looking at, let's say even a low calorie diet, whether intentional or not, there's so many, so many women that I work with who I are unintentionally eating low calorie. They don't realize that they can eat more calories and they're, they're just not kind of tuned into their body right now. But if we're eating low calorie, not only do we not have the fuel for the body to do what it needs and for the metabolism to run really efficiently, but we're also restricting the amount of information that the body has to work with your vitamins and your minerals. Like we need those. So if we don't have that, then we can start to see, especially with like, I'm kind of stuck on low calorie right now, but like with low calorie, um, you can start to see like the whole menstrual cycle is inhibited because ovulation is inhibited because the body is almost in this like fight or flight mode. And it's not going to prioritize hormone creation and healthy ovulation. Yeah. And I think the important thing as well with that is that people often think that, oh, it's not that bad because I haven't skipped a period yet, but you can still have a period. It's not a true period, but you can still have a bleed Mm -hmm. even without ovulation. So I think that's really important for people to, to realize that, um, you might think you're having a healthy cycle because you're bleeding, but actually you're, you're missing that ovulation, which is one of the key kind of pivotal processes of, of, hormonal health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So important. And, um, when we are hindering that ovulation, you know, it's going to really affect our mood. Mm-hmm. It's going to affect 
our um, our sleep. It's going to affect even you know if you're eating low calorie too, like your sleep can probably be pretty crummy because your yes. body is just kind of in this like oh my gosh, we're in this starvation mode. And what happens to with low calories, if you're in a chronic low calorie state, I understand like to clear the air, yes, to lose weight, you need to be in a calorie deficit. However, if you're in a chronically low calorie state for let's say greater than three months, and you haven't gone to a maintenance where your body is getting all the calories it needs, your metabolism is going to slow down. So then what would happen next in order to lose weight, if let's say you're eating 1200 calories a day and you had some weight loss for, let's say about three months, six weeks or so. And that three month part comes up and you're kind of at this plateau and you're not seeing weight loss anymore. Well, your body is super smart and the body's like, we're not receiving all of the fuel that we need to do your daily activities. And so it slows down your metabolism to compensate for that. Mm. So now in order to see weight loss again, you would have to decrease your calories again. And then we're getting into like really, really unhealthy areas of like 800 calories a day. And the body is going to be like shutting down all really non-essential processes at that point, including growing healthy hair and skin and nails and having a period and sleep. And all of these things are going to be affected because the body is just really trying to do all the, send all of its energy available to the areas that are most important to sustain life. So if we get into this chronic caloric restriction and what can happen then too is let's say somebody has yo-yo dieting tendencies where they go, you know, they're eating about a 2000 calorie per day diet and they want to lose weight. And so they go to 1200 calories and then about mm, three months in, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm hangry right now. I'm so sick of being hungry all the time. I'm so sick of um, not enjoying the foods that I enjoy. And I'm just so sick of doing this that I'm going to say, screw it. I'm going to throw in the towel and I'm going to go back to that 2000 calories. So when they jump back into that, the body has slowed down that metabolism and it's not going to catch up right away. It doesn't know that it's like we have, we live in 2023 and we have access to food at any time. It's still very primal and it thinks that we're in this like um, hunter gathering state and we're going through these feasts and famine type issues. And so that's why if you go right back into your 2000 calorie diet, you can have that weight gain plus more because the metabolism hasn't quite caught up to and learned exactly what you're doing. So mm -hmm. if you're in this chronic state of low calories, you do need to baby step it back up into something we call reverse dieting, where you give your body more fuel and it starts to rev up that metabolism again. And it starts to really <clears throat> burn very efficiently so that you can give your body fuel and it utilizes it instead of storing it because it realizes now we are in a constant state of where we do have availability of food. Yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to link in my show notes. And, and you mentioned this briefly a minute ago about someone being hangry. Um, so, you know, I would imagine that blood sugar can be quite severely affected mm -hmm. with, um, with, well, really, you know, low fat diets. Uh, mm -hmm. If someone's doing low protein or if someone's doing, you know, even if someone was a raw fruit you know there's some diets mm -hmm. out there that are raw fruit vegan um there are so many so many diets that could influence blood sugar and i'm just wondering how you see that impacting people and hormonal health 
Yeah. And I want to throw in there too. Also, I think intermittent fasting is one that can really mess with your blood sugar too. So your body is very, very smart, as I said before. And if it doesn't have the fuel source available, it will create the sugar for you. So let's say, um, let's say you're in an intermittent fasting state and you're waiting until two o'clock until you eat, but you're hungry before then. And your body, your blood sugars may be bottoming out. Your cortisol levels are going to increase to put, cause your body is like under some stress in that state. And when your cortisol level rises, that triggers the liver to create and release glucose to bring your blood sugars back up. So that's when you can have that hangry state. Um, You can also have it, like you said, on some of these other diets, you mentioned being in lower calorie or being a fruit only vegetarian, vegan. Is that what you said? I haven't heard of that one yet. Yeah. Do you know what? It's just on my radar because someone was talking, so I know someone who's doing it and, and it's just their lifestyle full stop. It's, it's quite extremist. It was just a random, it was just a random example, but um, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're not, if you're not, um, really kind of being very conscious, even just eating a plant-based diet, you can have some blood sugar spikes or lows because Mm -hmm. you don't have that protein always to balance it out and just, or you might be having a particularly like very carby diet. That's not a carby meal. Mm -hmm. That's not balanced. So those Mm -hmm. are just kind of some examples. Yeah. So, you know, when we think about blood sugar, blood sugar is going to be influenced by carbohydrates and if we're thinking particularly about plant-based um, proteins, those contain carbs. Animal-based proteins are going to contain fats. So if we are, we have to be really mindful if we're going to be vegetarian or vegan about making sure that we're getting some good plant and uh, proteins, but also fat sources in there as well. Because if you're eating just carbohydrates, carbohydrates, as they get digested, become glucose. And the rate at which carbohydrates become glucose are gonna be impacted by what we're pairing our food with. Fats and animal proteins are going to slow the rate in which those carbohydrates become sugar when we're pairing those with our foods. Fiber also has a big impact on the rate in which carbohydrates are digested down as well. So as carbohydrates digest to become glucose, that raises our blood sugar. As our blood sugar rises, the insulin needs to be released from the pancreas to move that glucose out of our bloodstream, put it into our cells to be used for right now fuel refill our glycogen stores in our liver and our muscles. And then the excess is going to get stored as fat, um, as a triglyceride as for to use for later. So we can see blood sugar go up. Insulin can rise to meet that. And then we can see blood sugar go down quickly. So we want to really minimize those big spikes, Mm -hmm. the roller coaster that you're going on, because also what happens when it goes down really low, that's when you can crave that sugar again, because the body's like, Hey, we need fuel source. We went through that fuel source already. And we need more fuel when really it might've went through it and just stored it instead of actually utilizing it because your body maybe isn't metabolic flexible. And what that means is that your body can tap into fat for fuel or to sugar as fuel, glucose as fuel. And so for metabolic inflexible, we're only relying on that glucose. So we can have this big spike and this big drop and all of a sudden be like, I'm really hungry again. I need to eat more again. I have these energy crashes during the day. That's a, those are some pretty classic signs of blood sugar dysregulation. Additionally, you know, waking up in the middle of the night is a pretty classic sign of blood sugar dysregulation as well. Oftentimes people are like, I'm waking up in the middle of the night because I have to get up to pee. But really your blood sugar probably dropped and cortisol rose to bring that back up because as I mentioned earlier, that's going to create the the glucose by the liver is going to get released. And the cortisol rising is actually what wakes you up. That's what wakes us up in the morning is cortisol. 
And so that actually woke you up. And then you were like, oh, I got to get up and I got to pee. And yeah, when you yeah. rebalance your blood sugar, you can decrease those, min- those middle of the night wakings and you can actually sleep the night and not have to pee in the middle of the night. <laughs> and I mean, last, I mean, we like, you know, we could definitely talk about this piece for ages, but I just wanted mm-hmm. to kind of wrap this section up with gut health. I would imagine if you're restricting foods or calories um or food or food groups that your back your gut bacteria are going to start mm-hmm. to be affected I mean what's your stance on that yeah 100 percent um you know we have to really think about digestion as a north to south process too and oftentimes um people are struggling with sufficient stomach acid mm-hmm. which makes us more susceptible then to having different bacterial overgrowth, um, such as SIBO or, and I've heard you talk about SIBO oftentimes on your podcast, candida can also be a big issue too, when we don't have the proper nutrients to even create stomach acid. But then if we're also tending more towards a vegetarian or vegan diet, then we, um, don't have we're less likely to create stomach acid as well because you don't need as much stomach acid to break down those foods, but it makes us more susceptible to different pathogens, bacteria that we might be consuming and also the overgrowth of the, the, the bacteria that already live in our microbiome. Mm, yeah. That's so, that's so, I mean, I, I w- didn't even think about that piece of the stomach acid. I was kind of more thinking about like the lack of diversity and how it affects like mm-hmm. good bacteria, but that makes so much sense as well. You know, the, the impact on, on stomach acid can be huge. And the problem is that often low stomach acid can look like to doctors, like acid reflux and GERD. So then they mm-hmm. give you proton pump inhibitors and we just mm-hmm. get this, this cycle, this problem where the stomach acid just gets lower and the body, the body starts to really struggle with that. Um, so that's, yeah. such a, that's such a good point. Thank you for, for raising that. And I do want to say too, that let's talk about a different diet that we haven't talked about yet. The carnivore diet. Oh my gosh. Where, yes. are, where are your fruits and veggies, your fiber to feed your gut bacteria? Cause your good, healthy bacteria need that fiber. And if we're not giving our body that fiber, we're going to have a decrease in that beneficial bacteria, which can make you more susceptible to the overgrowth of the opportunistic bacteria. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And a more inflammatory gut environment, right? Like mm-hmm. high meat diet in the absence of um, fiber and fruit and vegetables, we, we know creates more of an inflammatory environment in the gut. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's definitely the the benefit obviously the stomach acid piece uh with lack of protein and nutrients is, is an issue but with with a plant-based diet you are getting a lot of fiber and gut feeding bacteria mm-hmm. um so it you know it's really interesting i think that we hear a lot about these diets but we don't always understand the full impact on we hear about that kind of oh you know this is great for sudden weight loss or for this or for that but we don't necessarily fully grasp the impact on all of the different areas of our body. Mm -hmm. And that's the same too there with keto. Like oftentimes we're restricting a lot of those fruits and veggies that provide us with the fiber that our body really needs. And there's, you know, I'm sure you've heard of people saying that they're doing dirty keto or clean keto. And so it's really like, yeah, you can do keto and eat all the cheese and bacon in the world, but what about the other nutrients that your body needs? So we need to have a lot of diversity in the foods that we're eating. So our body is receiving all of the different macro and micronutrients that it needs to really do all these amazing processes that it does every day. Yeah. Yeah. So how kind of we've we've talked a lot about the the negative impacts of this diet culture but what in contrast what would you define as healthy eating or you know a healthy relationship with food versus the contrast with diet culture because i think that this can be this can be where it gets tricky because it can be difficult to know whether you're being influenced by just healthy eating or diet culture when there's a lot about wellness at the moment and 
the new superfood and the new super diet and also the emergence of orthorexia, which I don't, you might talk mm-hmm. about, um, or also just with something like endometriosis or or SIBO, of which I have both, when mm-hmm. they might require you to, there might be some foods that are particularly triggering for your pain. Um, you know, I'm I'm really mindful of sugar and blood sugar, but because for me, mm-hmm. that leads to pain flares. And there are certain foods that really worsen my SIBO. So sometimes there are um, changes that you make to your eating in order to get well or in order to manage your condition. And it can be tricky to do that um, and, and maintain a healthy relationship with food. So I'm wondering how would like, yeah, what is a healthy relationship to food, especially in that kind of context when it can be quite difficult? Yeah, it does get a little tricky there, especially when we're working through specific gut imbalances that require different dietary approaches to help minimize the symptoms and maybe even eradicate that thing that is causing the the symptoms that you're experiencing. Like you mentioned with SIBO, you can reduce your symptoms with a low FODMAP diet. Um, With a candida diet, we are, if candida is present, we do recommend kind of lower sugar as well during that eradication period. Also, if you have a parasite, there's different protocols for that to really support the eradication of that parasite from your body. And so it can get, become a very slippery slope. So if you're, I would say if you're working through a specific protocol, definitely working with a specific practitioner can really help support that. So you know that there's um, support when it starts to feel almost too restrictive and you talk with your, your, whoever you're working with about like, Hey, this doesn't feel intuitive anymore. This feels disruptive. So that's the thing is like intuitive eating is like this big word, but nobody really knows how to do it. And I always think about like, how did my grandparents eat? How were they brought up? They were very much in tune with because they were farmers and so it was very much in tune with like a schedule and when they were hungry they were also eating it wasn't around these timing necessary of like oh i can't eat yet because i'm in my fasting window and so can we get back to more of the basic before we had all the influence of social media and data and all of that. Can we get to a little bit more basic, simplify it? Am I eating a fat, a carb and a protein on my plate? Mm-hmm. Am I, am I being very just basic? Are all those things showing up on my plate? And am I pairing my, my snack, my, let's say, I'm going to have an apple and my pairing that with something else that's going to make me feel satiated because your apple is delicious, but you're going to burn through that very quickly as it's just a carbohydrate. But am I going to feel more satiated if I add some peanut butter or almonds or cheese with that apple? Best combination, peanut butter and apple. I love mm -hmm. it. Oh, right. So good. And there was a time too, is to speak from like personal experience here. There was a time too that I was kind of led to believe that peanut butter is awful for us and we need to steer clear of peanut butter and we should only be eating almond butter. Mm. I feel like I missed out on a few years of peanut butter. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so happy that peanut butter is in my life again. Um, So really looking at the, the information that you're receiving and asking yourself, well, how does this make me feel at the end of the day? Maybe you do feel better if you eat almond butter instead of peanut butter. But are we also like looking at the information on the labels of that food that we're eating too and understanding, well, maybe the peanut butter tastes better because there's more sugar in it than the almond butter. Maybe I should try a peanut butter that doesn't have any added sugar in it. Um, so if the, the food, um, let's say, If the way that you're eating is disruptive to your day, your thoughts, the way you operate, if it's hindering your relationships or your social life, we maybe want to reevaluate to see, 
maybe I'm being a little influenced here by diet culture and not really eating in a way that best serves my body. Because at the end of the day, I think we have to really listen to how is, what is the message is my body telling me about this? And I know that you've talked a lot about this on your podcast about like, oh, having to shift away to maybe including some more animal proteins in your diet mm-hmm. because the messages that your body was sending you now is like, okay, something needs to shift here. And sometimes I feel like that can be really challenging when it's really challenging our, our beliefs and our thoughts about those foods. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and it, you know, values, your, your values and, and your ethics. Mm-hmm. I think for me, that was, I mean, I, I sat with that decision for 12 months, 15 months. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, my labs weren't looking good. So <laughs> I couldn't really <laughs> ignore the, the results for much longer. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so, I mean, that's, those kind of signs are really helpful. And, and actually just having those foundations, like, of the do I have like the fat the protein and the carbohydrates or complex carbohydrates and fiber on the plate would you say I'm wondering if you've got any kind of um little signs that okay the the relationship is improving or or it's in a good place like I would imagine things like feeling satiated like enjoying Mm -hmm. your meals like um I don't know like enjoying eating out like I wonder if because I I mean Mm -hmm. I remember like I said, I've, I've been personally affected by an eating disorder. And I remember when someone would put something on my plate that wasn't kind of in my very limited Mm -hmm. list of foods I'd like to eat. And the, the feeling now I can't, I can't describe anything. I just, I can't put it into words how it would make me feel like this irrational, like anger and huge mood change and and also mm-hmm. being out like the the panic about being out trying to find something on a menu like not even wanting to be at that that place all you could think about as a food and how you'd feel afterwards if you did eat that food like I just wonder what could be some of the contrast like the the opposite what would be the good feelings that we'd be looking for to be like okay like maybe I am doing better because after so many years of a disordered approach it can be quite hard to know Mm-hmm. Yeah. So obviously non-scale victories. I am not a huge fan of utilizing the scale to measure our success mm-hmm. when it comes to our journey with food. And oftentimes I tell my clients, I'm like, I want you to put your scale in the trunk of your car or the top shelf of your closet, somewhere where it's out of sight, out of mind, because we are focusing on non-scale victories here. And that's going to be energy level. How is your energy level throughout the day? Can we get rid of these energy crashes that are happening midday um, that a lot of people experience when they're having blood sugar issues? Are you sleeping through the night? How would you say your mood is? Um, how is your um, your movement? How is your movement? Is there changes in that? Like a lot of my clients will tell me, oh my gosh, I feel so much stronger in the gym when we're giving our bodies the right fuel, you can really see your, your energy level, your sustainability, um, change. Um, also like, are you no longer stressed when it comes to mealtime and feel like it's a chore or something you have to do or something you dread doing because anything that I cook makes me feel awful. Or, um, like you mentioned before dining out, is it cause a lot of anxiety and panic kind of, and you're no longer there enjoying the experience and the people you're with and the real meaning why we're dining out oftentimes is to experience a culture, experience the community that we're with, experience a connection. All of those things are really the foundation as to what we want to be building kind of our relationship with food with. Um, So you know that you're moving beyond that when you allow yourself the opportunity to fully enjoy without it being disruptive, without it hindering your relationships, without it causing more like stress. And you're just like, 
I'm going to have a donut today. Have a donut. Enjoy a donut. It doesn't have to be planned out. That way, I think it'd be another thing, too. If you can have spontaneous ways to eat as well, that still feel intuitive and good in your body. And you know, like we all know that there are certain foods that we can eat and we're like, oh, I don't feel super great after I ate that. And so then you start to maybe shift the frequency in which you eat it, or you can politely decline without feeling any emotion. Like we need to make food almost have neutral. It needs to be neutral. It's not positive. It's not negative. It's there. I enjoy it, but it doesn't rule my world. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that this is, it it might require patience because diet culture takes a lot of different disguises over the Mm -hmm. years. And I think that it's, there is so much good about the wellness industry. There really, really is. Um, But I think that diet culture can be sneaky and hide within that Mm -hmm. so it's just taken a lot of different forms over the years and I think that having patience with ourselves as we unlearn those processes is is what's going to be really helpful not like you said at the beginning of the episode not beating ourselves up right for what we didn't know or, or how we were influenced um so I would really say too like as you start to evaluate kind of your actions around food movement and your appearance you're going to feel that something may not be truly in alignment. And so that might be you shifting. And I think one of the biggest things for people is if I change this then other people are going to judge me and you don't have to defend yourself for anything that you eat or do. I want to state that because I feel like sometimes people are like, I've always been, a vegetarian my whole life. And so now if I switch that, then now people are going to question me or not think I'm like a, a good person if I no longer can dine out with my vegan friends anymore. And so you have to really just stand in your truth and give yourself grace because this is a big change as you get rid of some of the different beliefs that you may have that are carrying over and being like, okay, I'm ready to just really listen to my bodies and its needs. And it's okay that my perspective has changed. Our, I think all of us can agree that our perspective on different things, not just food, have always evolved and grown and changed. And yeah. that's okay. And so realizing that that is going to happen with your relationship with food too. Our body and life are very fluid and dynamic. And so it's okay to shift your thoughts around foods as well. Yeah. Um, So as you do that shift, as I mentioned before, your ego is going to step in this time Mm -hmm. and really try to keep you here in your comfort zone because the ego likes comfort. And so that's when we have all these stories and these justifications and these whatevers fill our head as we try to step out of that comfort zone and try something different. Maybe you're trying peanut butter after not having peanut butter for years and your body is going to tell you like, peanut butter is bad. You shouldn't do that. Remember what they said. I don't even remember what they said, but remember what they said. You shouldn't be eating that. And you have to really be like, okay, wait, stop, pause. Does that storyline serve me anymore? Is that actually true? What evidence do I have that that is true around this certain situation? And then you can move forward if it feels good to move forward. Or maybe you're like, okay, maybe today's not the day I'm going to try peanut butter. I'm going to wait until it feels more. Don't try to force it. Mm -hmm. Really try to listen to what your body is telling you. Yeah. Yeah. That makes so much sense. And I really love that you said, like, don't worry about people's judgment, because I think that is huge when it comes to, Mm -hmm. to food. Um, and people love to comment on what other people are eating, <laughs> you know, yeah. whether you're dieting or whether you're 
I don't know, not dieting, whatever. People just love to comment. So mm-hmm. I think that's really powerful, kind of giving ourselves permission to evolve um, and and not be stuck rigid in our ways mm-hmm. because we're worried about what other people will say. Um, so this has been so just, I just think this is going to be so helpful for so many people. Um, I see that, I see this with, with, so with clients, with friends, like, you know, in my past behaviors, um, especially with things like, um, certain protocols for like SIBO, Mm -hmm. people can get really obsessive and be like, no, I have to do like the strictest version of, of a Mm -hmm. SIBO diet. And it's like, well, you you don't actually have to. And, you know, just, um, and it's it's no one's fault. We're just all influenced by the society that we live in. But I, I hope and I think that this episode is going to be really freeing for a lot of people. Um, so yeah. thank you so much for coming on. And how do people kind of reach out to you or um, learn more from you? Yeah, you can find me on all platforms. Um, Instagram. I am on TikTok, but I'm not very active on their Pinterest my website, B Collective Wellness. So B-E-E, Collective Wellness, like the bumblebee. Um, and you can find me on Instagram, B Collective Wellness. My website is bcollectivewellness.com. I'm on Pinterest, like I said, TikTok, but not very active on there. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, it has been, yeah, it has been really insightful and helpful. Yay, thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world.